I want to speak to you just for a moment on this subject, and I hope you'll take it home with you. My title today is Don't Give Up on America. Ladies and gentlemen, don't give up on America. I believe it's the greatest nation ever conceived. We've got our warts, our bruise, our, our blemishes, but thank God we have a great nation, and I think we ought to thank God for allowing us to live in this nation that we have. Ten years ago, our nation and the world was rocked. I sat down last night and wrote this. As we watched the hijacked planes flying into the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and the field in Pennsylvania. Our staff was in the church office. We ran downstairs where television was set up. And we watched in unbelief as the skies of New York City were filled with the ashes of the burning buildings. America had been attacked at her very heart. We knew we would never be the same when the dust cleared. Thousands had lost their lives. Their loved ones, their fathers, mothers, children, fiancés, co-workers, and friends. The terrorist attack of September 11, 2001 has now resulted in 2,996 deaths, including the 19 Muslim hijackers and 2,977 victims. The victims were distributed as follows, 246 of the four planes for which there was no survivors, 2,660 in New York City in the towers and on the ground, 125 at the Pentagon. All the deaths in the attack were civilians except for 55 Military personnel killed at the Pentagon. And now, according to the New York Daily News, 10 years later, the official number, listen to this, of first responders who were killed outright, who have died as a result of that attack, is almost 1,000. More than 90 countries lost citizens in the attacks on the World Trade Center. We must never forget. But our greatest loss was, in many ways, one of our finest hours. We saw a nation come together. Millions of dollars flowed to help those who had suffered such great loss. Churches were filled the following weeks with people coming together to pray. Even our politicians recognized our deep need for God during those hours and prayed together on the steps of the Capitol building. And during the live television broadcast on that evening of the September 11 attacks, the United States Congress broke out into an apparently spontaneous verse of God bless America on the steps of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. I really believe today that there's not anybody in this building who doesn't love America. But if you, like me, have looked into our very soul in the last few days, I think our nation needs a revival. I really believe that. And I want to talk to you today, just very three very simple points, and I want you to take them home. The reason I say don't give up on America is, number one, because of our foundation. The way we were started, the way we were born. You know, the Word of God says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen to his own inheritance. There's a coming together of two facts there. The Bible says, Blessed are the people who accepted God as their Lord and the people who he accepts to be his people. There's a a partnership that you and I can establish with an almighty God. I love the verse of Scripture that God says, you draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. In other words, God says, you take a step toward me, I'll take a step toward you. And he will come to us as far as we will come to him. 
When we look at our heritage, we realize our nation was born with a deep dependence on God, the Bible, and prayer. Our nation is, our faith is inscribed in our buildings all over Washington, D.C., and I can imagine you guys who go through that almost get accustomed to seeing those things that are there. But those of us who visit from time to time, we look at those things and we see things that were etched there hundreds of years ago are still there, etched in stone to cry out as to our foundation. Our faith is inscribed in our buildings all over Washington. And did you realize that 11 of the 13 colonies, the original colonies, 11 of them voted that you could not hold public office unless you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as the creator of the world and the keeper of peace. That's amazing. I looked up some things that just baffled in my mind. The settlers started this nation. And by the way, I want to say something. It made me mad. Time out. Okay. I began to look and Googled up the foundation, the founders of our father, of our nation, and their faith. And there were many sites there. But did you know some idiot, idiots, more than one, I don't know what they've looked at, but they said America, the founders of America did not have a Christian basis. They've been sucking glue. I don't know how you deny it. Last night for hours, my, my wife knows, for hours, I went through the writings and the testimonies of the people. Were they perfect? No, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Were they people that raised themselves above the others? You'd have to read their testimonies of themselves. Even George Washington said, oh, God, I am the most needy man in this country, and I beseech you, oh, God Almighty, to help me to be able to perform the office that has been laid upon my shoulders. Didn't try to put himself up. But if you go to the settlers, the very first in 1492 when Columbus came to discover a new world, he wrote in his log, it was the Lord who put this into my mind. And I came in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the humans and to the heathens and to bring the word of God to unknown individuals. In St. Augustine, Florida, I've been there many times. The very first cross was put up in that place in 1556 they settled the first settlement was there Spanish pioneers came and landed there and they named it Nombre de Dios that was the name of the town which meant the name of God will be in this place they set up the first cross Jamestown in 1607 under the first charter Virginia declared by the province of almighty God hereafter tend to the glory of his divine majesty and propagating the Christian religion. Now listen, these people were not interested in religion. It didn't matter the religion. They were sick of religion. And I, I don't know about you, but I got religion up to here. You know what we need? We need some people who will put away religion and look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, there's the only perfect one, and he loved me so much, he came to die for me, and I'm willing to follow him. Religion will not settle America. It's not a matter of religion. It's the matter of our core beliefs and where we got our start. And I want to challenge you this morning. I've got five pages, and I'm not going to read all that stuff. If you want to know it, you go look it up yourself. But I was just, I sat there with tears running down my cheeks. 
I said, God, bring us back. Don't let us forget. The rock upon which we were established. Our holidays, all of those things. We ought to not give up on America because of our foundation. We ought not to give up America because of our faith. Entwined in the sinew of our very nation is a faith in God. You know what brings that out? Crisis. I've never been more proud, more scared, more apprehensive than I was on the day as we sat up there in that carriage house in the basement. Dave, I think you were there and our staff. We were there and we watched in utter amazement. As those planes flew in there and we heard about the other plane going in the Pentagon. Robin, we heard about the other plane that landed in the field. And then to see a nation, our leaders, different places coming from different concepts to gather on the states of the Capitol build, uh, on the steps of the Capitol building and ask our country to go to prayer to an almighty God. You know what that said to me? In the deep heart of every person, there is a faith in God. We need to fan that faith. We need to build that faith. We need to expose that faith. We ought to live up to that faith because I believe intrinsic in everything we believe is that there is a God in heaven. We're accountable to that God. He sent his son to this earth to help us, but he has promised that I will never leave you or forsake you. That's our God. Americans have faith in prayer. Americans have faith in doing good. More money was given, has been given by our country than all the other countries combined. But I'd like to just say this in concluding this point. America must have faith in a living God. If our God is dead, our hope is dim. As Paul said, if our faith isn't true, we are of most men most miserable. We've had some amazing things in the life of this church when only a living God could have prevailed. When we were trying to build that first building over there, and Scott, I think you may remember this, we had a guy in our church who was, on, he was, he was in some office. They had had to shut down all of the the water permits on new buildings. We had to put a moratorium on that. And we weren't gonna, there was not going to be any money. We were, in a, we were in a very difficult situation right then. I was sitting up there one day, and this guy came to my office. He said, Preacher, I found something. He said, you might need to look at this. He said, here is money that was appropriated for a water line to go from Weddington down here, water and sewer. He said, you got 30 days, but you'll have to get a piece of property down here where we can put a pump station within 30 days. Man, I called our guys together and I said, guys, here's the situation. What do you think? They said, man, where do we sign? Let's give them, designate that, give it to the city, whatever we need to do. And in less than two months, we had a water line running down here when subdivisions all over. You know why God wanted to, he knew what we would be. God knew that we would be a place that would raise up people and encourage people and would hopefully be a, a lighthouse in our community. And God said, hey, you think I'm dead? I am not dead. I am a living God. And we need to reestablish our faith, not in just a creed, but in a living God 
who will never leave you or forsake you. And finally, I don't want to give up on America because of our future. I wasn't kidding what I said about that little old boy with that red hair. I like kids like that. You know, I thank God. I was in the 10%, the, uh, the 10% of troublemakers in school. Y'all don't know that, do you? I'm about to tell you something that very few people know. I'm not even sure my, my wife may know this. I was called into the principal's office when I was in about the 11th grade, and he sat me in front of me. He said, Brad, if I could straighten you out, I could straighten the whole school out. And I looked at him, I said, you're crazy. <laughs> you know what I found out? So many times, those people who have drive, sometimes they get a little off course. Sometimes I watch our young people and I see, man, that guy, what in the world did he do to his hair? What in the world is he, you know, hold it. He's not done yet. He's still a work in progress. You know why? Because we have a God who knows your future better than you do. And I believe there's some leaders in this building right here. We got a whole bunch of teenagers, men, on Wednesday night. We got about 75, 80 to 100 young people down there, and they're learning about Jesus. And we got kids, and while we wanted to have our kids come in here today, I believe we ought to teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ because you know why? I believe when you have a strong faith, it's a fertile ground for God to raise up some leaders for tomorrow. I will not give up on America because I believe that God has a purpose for this nation, and it was established with a purpose. And I believe it with all my heart. We'll not give up on this nation because God made some promises. And God made some challenges. He said, the son, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. He said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Three of the most, four of the most powerful words ever spoken by Jesus Christ. He stood before a multitude and he said, have faith in God. If our future is tied to our faith, we're winners. Can I say that again? You believe that? If our future is tied to our faith in God, we are winners. We got a lot of enemies in this world. They don't like our, they don't like our ability to assemble like this. They don't like our code of ethics. They don't like our faith. You know what? They just need to find Jesus. If they ever touched him, if he ever touched their heart, if they could ever drink out of the living water, God would change their heart. Because there is a triangular hole in the heart of every man that will not be filled by a circular world. God created that place for himself. And I'm not going to give up on the future. God said, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll hear it in heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. I wish I had time to read to you what has happened in our, what happened in our nation right after the Revolutionary War. Let me just read a couple of the paragraphs. We may have sometimes glorified our past. But we're a little bit like the nation of Israel. We get close to God and then when he starts blessing, we wander away from him. And then we get close to God. and It says 
a man writing, Dr. Dale Robbins. Today we face what seems to be a hopeless condition in America. Gross immorality has engulfed the land. Crime has taken over the streets. Sexual promiscuity and perversion has filled our society. Drunkenness and drug abuse is everywhere. God has been rejected by many of our citizens, virtually kicked out of our government, our schools. A few years ago, Billy Graham issued this profound warning that if God doesn't do something soon and bring judgment upon America, he'll have to go back and apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. How far it seems that the United States has drifted from its rich religious heritage. But he said, let me share something with you. According to a church historian, J. Edwin Orr, in the post-revolutionary war, this was around 1750, Drunkenness was an epidemic portion. Listen to this. We had a population at that time of 4 million and 300,000 were considered drunkards. Bank robberies occurred every day. Street crime, rape, murder was rampant and citizens were afraid to go out of their homes at night. Profanity was the worst imaginable. Shocking in its filthiness. The spiritual climate in the nation was disparaging. Presbyterians met in General Assembly to deplore the ungodliness. Methodists and Baptists were losing their members more than they were gaining. Lutherans and Episcopalians were struggling, even considering merging for the sake of survival. Episcopal Bishop in New York had confirmed no more than one convert in 16 years. A pastor in Lenox, Massachusetts, said that he had not been able to see any growth in his 25 years in that church, and so he resigned. A poll at Harvard revealed that there was not one believer in the entire student body. And I want to remind you that Harvard and Yale were a part of the first 108 schools started in America. And 105 of them were started as Christian institutions. 105. But by this time in 1750, they couldn't find one believer in Jesus Christ in Harvard and only two in Yale. So what happened? Some people like us began to pray for their nation. They began to call groups together. No matter, it didn't matter where they went to church or what the church was. They were just concerned about America. And God began to raise up this awareness of our need. The awakening of prayer seemed to first begin in the British Isles in 1792, just a year after the death of John Wesley. Predictably, as people saw God, signs of revival began to be seen. It was first ever in New England, but we need it again up there. Sweeping through Connecticut, then on to Massachusetts. You guys don't know this, but we only allow so many Yankees in to our church. We sort of have a you know quota. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding with you. <laughs> nah, they'll probably get a preacher from up there when I'm gone. Anyway. But it started up in that part of the country. There was a great minister, James McGrady, held unified prayer meetings every third Saturday and at sunrise on Sundays. And a letter he wrote in the winter of 1799 was spent weeping and mourning with the people of God. Finally, in summer of 1800, great camp meeting revival swept Kentucky and Tennessee. Came to North and South Carolina and swept the frontier. At night, the hills and fields of the sparsely populated Bourbon County there glittered with torches as far as the eye could see as smaller cells of hundreds gathered simultaneously around bonfires to hear rousing sermons by one of the dozens of the preachers until the late hour. Spiritual fervor was intense. The distant sounds of revival were heard in every direction from the bonfire gatherings, the hollows and ridges 
echoed with barely audible medley of preaching and singing and repentant weeping and joyful praising that was typical of the great American revival spawned through prayer, which stored America's spiritual soul and brought God's blessings about a hundred years. Today, America may look hopeless, but folks, don't give up on America. It may appear morally and spiritually bankrupt, but as we've discovered, there's always hope if God's people will come together and pray. God has salvaged our nation before. He can do it again. Matthew Henry once wrote, when God intends great mercy and blessing for his people, he first of all sets them to praying. We're from a lot of different backgrounds today. There's one thing common. We have a common creator. We've been created by the hand of an infinite almighty God. And to that degree we're brothers and sisters in this fraternity of manhood. We have something else in common. That God loved us so much he sent his one and only son Jesus Christ to this earth to die for us. Because he knew that they all of us needed redemption and forgiveness of sin. We have something else in common. He said in his word, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that amazing? See, that, that transcends all religions. That transcends backgrounds. That transcends education. It gets right down to the nitty-gritty of who we are. I will not, as, God, as long as God lives, gives me breath, give up on America because of our foundation, because of our faith that's ingrained in us. I've had the privilege of ministering to some of the toughest people in the world. And I think they let me minister to them because they knew I was real. I don't want to be a phony. I don't want to be something put on. Those of you who come every Sunday, you know me well. And God has let me wrap my arms around the shoulders of people of all walks of life, from the highest to the lowest. And you know what I found? There's a common need in every heart. We all face trouble. We all face difficulty. We all face loss. We all have tears when loved ones die. We all come to crisis in our life. Can we not, for the sake of our children and our grandchildren, in our own way, in your own place, call out to a holy God and say, God, turn America back to you. You believe God would hear our prayer if we did that? I do. He said he would. Call upon me and I will answer thee and I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We cannot. We will not give up because of one other thing. Every time I see the names of those who died, Every time I see the names of those who served us, I realize they were dying for a cause. And bottom line is that cause was freedom. And if I can encourage our leaders, boy, let's, 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 let's protect one thing. Let's protect our liberty. Let's protect our freedom. Let's protect the ability to worship as we are. Did you see the other day up in Massachusetts somewhere they were trying to outlaw saying the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag? 
You know, there are places where they could do that. Why don't they go there? I love my nation. Our people know this, many don't. My wife, who is the love of my life right there, the prettiest woman in the world right there, smartest. She got me through college. She was six months old when her dad was killed in the Second World War. He was a lieutenant colonel, 27 years old. He was the highest-ranking officer on the plane. They were hit. He was flying tail gunner where he wasn't supposed to be, but he said, I'll never send my men into battle in a spot I've never ridden. They had an old B, uh, B, uh, 40, uh, B, B, B-17 over here at our airport, and we got to go over look at it, and we got to climb up in that hole, and I thought, good night. How could a person be there? But he stayed there, and he shot the enemy off all where all the guys on the plane parachuted down. And he went down with that plane knowing that he had three little girls and a precious wife back home. We have the flag that was sent. We have a lot of his medals. We have a lot of memorabilia. We have something better than that. We have the memory of a patriot who died and gave his life so you and I could be free. Let's not give up on America. Let's maintain the foundation of truth that allows us to be free. Father, we thank you for this moment today. And on this day that we celebrate incredible sacrifice of lives, we recognize, dear Lord, that we are not worthy of that sacrifice, but we are indeed grateful. Our hearts are drawn to you in this moment. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, as we leave this place today, we pray that we'll not get away from this fact that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You said, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. But God, I'm concerned about every person here today. There are some people in this room that you died for, Christ. You gave that ultimate sacrifice as well, and you did so willingly. And God, I pray today that if they don't know you as their Savior, today would be the day that they would come to know you. What a day it would be on 9-11 as we celebrate loving sacrifice that someone would come to know the one who gave his life for all of us. Where you're seated today, I want to ask you a question. With our heads bowed, I just want you to let God come in with your heart. I'd like to ask you a question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how sure are you that if you died this week, were called upon to give your life That instantly upon your death you would be in heaven. You say, preacher, uh, maybe a six, not good enough. Maybe an eight, maybe a two, I don't know. I wouldn't walk out the door. The Bible says this, these things have I written unto you that believe that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. 
God wants you in his hand. God wants his life in you. He died for you. I've had, a hundred, I've had hundreds of people that I've been able to sit down with who said, Preacher, what do I need to do? It's very simple. I must recognize that I'm a sinner and I need God. All of us know we've sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. I've got to recognize that. I've got to recognize that Jesus Christ died for my sins. A perfect person dying for a sinful person. The only person, perfect one that ever lived, a virgin-born son of God. He came with one purpose in the mind. That was to rescue you. And he stood and said, Whosoever shall call on my name shall be saved. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, I stand at your heart's door. I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I'll come into him. And we'll have fellowship. God says when you accept him, he writes your name in heaven's book. I'm not asking you today to consider this church. I'm not asking you to consider anything else. I'm asking you to consider your own destiny this morning. And if you would like to receive Christ today in your heart, if there's that little desire to say, Preacher, I want to know that I know that I know then I want you to pray from your heart to the heart of God. Listen carefully. A prayer does not save anyone. A person saves us. A person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And in the deep of your heart, if that's your desire, I would like to encourage you to imagine Christ in front of you and you say this to him out of your heart. I'll give you a Bible-type prayer, and you can say it from your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. The Bible says he knows the thoughts and the intent of my heart. Just say this to him in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I believe that you died on the cross for me. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart and into my life. Forgive me. God, live inside me. Help me to live for you. When I die, Lord, take me to heaven. And in the meantime, help me to live for you. Thank you for coming into my heart today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you prayed that today and you really meant it, all I want you to do is look up at me and look me in the face, okay? Just look at me. If you prayed that today, according to the Word of God, The Bible said, whoever would call upon me, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. There are hundreds of verses that confirm that what you just did changes our destiny. You need to grow in the Lord. You need to find your place where you can read your Bible and begin to grow. Some of you already have a church home. 
If they declare the Bible, praise God. If you don't have one, find one. But follow God. And the Bible says, if you did that, you won't be ashamed. I'm not going to embarrass you today. I wouldn't embarrass you for $1,000. But I would like to pray for you. And all over this building, if you prayed that, would you just put your hands like this so I can see it. I'm going to ask God to close this meeting and to bless us together. Would you do that right there? God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. How many others? God bless you. God bless you, dear lady. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Father, in the quiet of this moment, we're standing today in the shadow of 9-11. It's almost like we can smell the dust and the fumes. It's almost like we can hear again the cries. I can't get out of my mind, Lord, those people jumping out of the building. It was a terrible day. But, Lord, there were those who rushed in and gave their lives. So many more would have died if they hadn't made that sacrifice. Lord Jesus, I want you to know how deeply we appreciate the fact that you saw our danger. You jumped in the fire to save us. God, there are many in this building today who prayed and asked you to come into their life. God, I dedicate that to you. Please, dear Lord Jesus, make this a new day of beginning, not just for them, but for our nation.